We're looking at the life of Jesus, a wonderful life, the life that has changed the course of human history and the world more than anyone else's life ever. Jesus' life is astounding, and we look at it and we learn from it. Jesus is our role model, uh, the pioneer and finisher of our faith. He's the one we follow, but he's also uh, in us, and we are in him. And so there's so much that we can learn from Jesus' life. As believers, we uh, learn what we already have. When we look at his life, we learn about the position that we are already, already in, in him. And it's wonderful. And he's in us. That life that he lived is in us. And we, we just gain so much strength and victory. When we look at Jesus, we see ourselves. There's a verse that says, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As we see the real Jesus, we change and become like the real Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And I'm so excited about this series that we're doing, Letting People See Jesus. We started over Christmas. We looked at his birth. And then last week, we looked at his baptism. And we're moving through the life of Jesus, looking at all four Gospels and merging them together to get an idea of Jesus' life in a chronological way so we can see exactly what happened to him. We're going to only be able to hit the highlights because there's so much in the four Gospels. But the highlights are awesome. And we're going to gain so much. And today we're looking at the very next story. Jesus has just come out of his baptism. Remember the voice as he's standing there on the edge of the Jordan River. And the water's dripping off him. And heaven opens. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Rests upon him and remains on him. And the voice out of heaven says, This is my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. And straight after that, the Bible says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. I'm reading from Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. And Luke says he was filled with the Spirit. And he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. That means the desert. So he's just gone from water and lots of people saying how wonderful he is. And being drenched in water and having God's voice, he's led into a place of dryness, solitude, hardship. Uh, Mark says he wandered around with the wild animals. I mean, it was, a, it was a hard time for 40 days and 40 nights, no food and no water. Just an amazingly difficult time. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that, if that wasn't enough, it says to be tempted by the devil. So... Wonderful affirmation from God. It's a bit like being in a service and you feel God's presence and you have a prophecy, a word from the Lord says, this is what God says to you, I love you, this, 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 this. And the very next minute, wow, I'm in the wilderness, dryness, hardship, struggle, and the devil's going for me. (laughs) That's what Jesus went through from one to the next immediately like this. Let's read what happens. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. <laughs> That's the Bible's always just, never just embellishes, just says the truth. He was hungry. Of course he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights, it's a lot. You are hungry. He was tempted. We know from Luke and Mark that he was tempted for the whole time and that angels were ministering to him during that time. But Here we just told about the very end of the 40 days. So he had been tempted throughout the 40 days. But then in verse 3 it says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said... So the devil, the tempter, comes to Jesus. A real person, the devil. A real personality. A spiritual being 
called the devil, with a name. He came to him. In other words, the devil's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He comes to an individual at a certain time. The devil came to Jesus. And at the end of this story, it says, the devil left him. The devil was a, a, is a specific being who came and spoke to Jesus. And he said to him, remember, Jesus is hungry. He's thirsty. But also in this time in the desert, he's been thinking and praying and preparing. He's been getting his flesh into subjection, telling his flesh to obey his spirit and his will, which is a good thing. He's, he's putting his flesh under his own control. He's saying, I will not eat even though I want to. I, I will do this. I will. He's controlling himself. But also he's been praying, he's been worshipping, he's been communing with God, he's been listening to God. God's been saying, this is what you're going to do in your ministry, my son. And he's showing him verses from the Old Testament, Isaiah, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the captives. It's just wonderful stuff and the power of God. And he's been communing. And, and, but then he's been reading the verses in Isaiah, which says... Um, that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to be alone. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My bones are all out of joint. People gloat at me. They, they're piercing my hands and my feet. He's been reading those verses as well. And he's been thinking, oh, I've got to go through all this pain and hardship and struggle. And, and the, the lack of food for 40 days is bad enough. But what about all the, the, the terrible persecution and affliction that I'm going to go through to reach the goal which is paying for men's sins and winning the world back from the devil's control. What about, what about all these hardships that I have to go through to get to the end? And while he's going through all this, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, remember at his baptism, God said, this is my beloved son, the very... Next thing, the devil comes and he says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and the devil here quotes Psalm 91, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I've got a, a few points on this. There's so much that we could say. Jesus is being tempted, and the devil comes. I want to I just make a few very important points. The first um, is that... All three of these temptations were actually one temptation. The devil was saying to him, is it really worth it? Is God's plan for you the best? And this temptation that the devil gave to Jesus is the same temptation that you and I face. We could split these up into three little temptations and try and 
get points out of if you're tempted to eat, if you're tempted to pride, if you're tempted to... But actually, this is one temptation where the devil was saying to Jesus, God's plan for you is this, where you're going to have hardship, but there's going to be joy and victory at the end. But is it really worth it? And he was saying it like this. Is the hunger and the pain and the hardship really worth it? Why don't you just do a miracle and just not go with God's Go this other way. Why don't you just go this easy way? Is God's way really best? And Jesus said, no, no. I live by God's word, not just by bread. God's word, his will for me is more important than my physical needs. Food, sex, um, all the different things that, that I need in my life, God's word is more rich and more beautiful and more powerful. That's what Jesus said. Then the devil said, yes, but look, would God really put you through all this hardship? If you throw yourself off the temple, you'll see the word of God says he won't even let your foot be dashed against a stone. Would he really let you be crucified and, and murdered on a cross? And, and again, he was saying, is God's will really the best for you? Is, would God really want this hardship for you, this, this, and this? He was making him doubt whether God is good and whether he could trust God. And Jesus said, yes, I want to trust God. I will not test the Lord my God. And then the last one, he said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I want you to just hear what he says to him. In Matthew, it says, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. In Luke it says, the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. The devil was saying, your your end goal of going through all this plan of God's, of of serving him, obeying him, dying on the cross, and the whole goal of that is to win back the kingdoms of the world from the devil. That's the plan. That's what you are trying to do. You're trying to win back. Adam gave it away to the devil, and the devil had all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, and Jesus was going to obey God and die on the cross to win back the world from the devil. The devil said, look, I'll give it to you at the beginning. You don't even have to go through all the trouble. Look, all the kingdoms, all the glory, if you'll just worship me now, I'll give you the end result. Do you see that? All three temptations, the devil was saying to Jesus, is God's will really the best for you? This plan that God has for you, this, all this, this way you're going to go, is it really worth it? Look, I'll just give you a quick route to get there. A bit like, remember with Abraham, where instead of waiting for Isaac and doing things the right way, his wife said, well, why don't you just take the slave girl and we'll just, we'll just get to God's route another way. It's always the devil's temptation To say, is God's way best? Is God really good? Does he really love you? You know, I've been reading some horrific statistics um, recently about pornography use. The Bible, um, sorry, the the, um, statisticians have said that they've done a survey and they reckon that I can't remember the figures exactly, but it's something like 70% of Christians are addicted to pornography. Christian men, and, and I think it's, it's 20 or 30% of Christian women. And, and the number of pastors and the number of Christians who are using pornography on a regular, regular basis. And it's become just 
very recently just become this epidemic where there are thousands, multiplied millions of Christians around the world addicted to this sin and they're embarrassed about it, they're guilty, they're ashamed, they, they do it but they don't want to do it, they hide it from other people. And it's not the only sin. There's many, many people, many Christians who are in cycles of sin. And they're enslaved by sin. We saw in that little video clip that we saw. Sometimes it's greed. Sometimes it's gossip. There's all sorts of these different things. It's cheating. It's lying. It's uh, anger, bitterness, hatred. All these different sins. And people are in bondage and enslaved. And I just want to say that Jesus shows us in this picture of him going in the desert, in the wilderness and being tempted, that actually we can be free, but that God's way is the best way. Every time that we're tempted to sin, the devil is coming and he's saying to us, do you really, you have this need, but is God's way the best way to fulfill it? Look, why don't I give you this other quick way of getting this need filled? Why don't, why don't you just serve me, just do the, the thing that I'm telling you to do, and I'll give you the answer to your need. And you won't have to go through God's way of doing it. He always says that. Whatever the temptation, it's always a lie that says God's way is not the best way. I have another way. And if you'll just, just obey me, we'll get there. The problem is that if we obey him, we become a slave to him. And his plan for us is never a good plan. Friends, I want to offer you today, it's a big topic that we will need to talk about more, but I want to offer you a way out. I want to say to you, there's a way out of this today. There's a way out of addiction. There's a way out of uh, sin controlling you and, and making you feel so terrible and so awful all the time. Right, so the devil... Comes and Jesus always responds with the word of God. You notice when the devil says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, and Jesus answers with scripture. He doesn't answer with, ah, oh, but didn't you hear the voice at my baptism? Didn't you hear the voice? Everyone else heard it. He answers with scripture. Friends, if you're going to try and beat the devil using willpower or emotion, or memory of a great experience you had, or a worship time, or whatever it is, you won't beat him. It's only the Bible that will beat the devil. It's always the Bible. Jesus could have given a long argument. He could have said a hundred different things, but he just quoted one scripture every single time, and that silenced the devil. The devil didn't go any further. The Bible is going to be your answer to getting out of temptation and getting out of sin. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how that works a little bit later. The other thing I want to say is that the devil and demons are real. And whenever we are involved with sin, there is a spiritual demonic element that we need to be aware of and we need to address. You need to know that demons are real, but you mustn't be scared of them. We have the victory over them, but they are real. And if you pretend they're not real, you won't beat these temptations and you won't beat the, the, the sin that's trying to control your life. If you say, well, demon-possessed people live in funny third-world countries and they act weird and they walk around with you know, no clothes on or whatever, that, that's going to give you the wrong idea about 
the demonic. The demonic is real. Every time there's sin, the devil is involved. One of the people who I highly respect who taught to us at Bible school said, it's a bit like water with fish. Whenever there's water, you'll see fish. Whenever there's sin, there are demons. <laughs> it just, it's just that way. The demonic is real. Almost all of Jesus' ministry was dealing with demons. Whenever he was healing people, whenever he was helping people, everything he was doing, he was dealing with demons just about every single time. In fact, Acts 38, 10 verse 38 says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It was the devil that he was fighting. And that's why he had to go into the wilderness. That's why the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days to go through this test is because he had to build up his muscles and overcome and completely defeat the devil right at the beginning so that all the rest of his ministry, he would be able to defeat the devil. I want to tell you that you have, please listen to me, the power of Jesus inside you. (laughs) You've got to get that. You see, we think, okay, it's demonic. Okay, I've been involved in sin. Okay, so there's demons. Now I must go and find someone to pray for me, to cast the demons out of me. No, you have the power of Jesus inside you. You know, I have lots of people, not so much here, but in in the past I've had many, many people come to me and say, I've got a demonic problem with this, 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 or this. Please will you pray for me to get me free? And I've learned after many years of ministry that I don't pray for people to get them free until they themselves can keep themselves free. Because otherwise the demon will just come straight back. People have to learn to get free themselves. It's, it's in you the Holy Spirit is, the, the power of God. And you need to say, Satan, get out of here. The book of James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's important. You and I have to resist the enemy. So there's a, there's a demonic element. There's also a flesh element of controlling our flesh and making sure that we, we do the right thing. But then the word of God is a very important part of it as well. Um, right, I'm going to just jump ahead here to talking about scripture. Listen to these verses. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. What is all that saying? I want to tell you, That the way to freedom from sin and from addiction and from temptation is to meditate in the Bible. It's it's like the silver bullet. All those other things are important. You've got to be able to deal with the demonic. When the devil comes, you've got to know it's the devil. You've got to say, I resist you, I repent, and in Jesus' name I cast you out. You've got to say that yourself. But 
if you don't meditate on the word, you still won't be free. You've got to discipline your flesh and, and you know, get a bit of a grip and a control on your flesh. But if you don't meditate on the word, you won't be free. Meditating in God's word is the way that we get free. That's what Jesus was doing for those whole 40 days in the, in the desert. He was thinking about God's word so that when the devil came, God's word just popped out. And the way that we have to do it is we have to be meditating on, on God's word and thinking about it. What does meditate mean? It means that I imagine. It means that I put God's word in my mind and I, put, and I start to imagine it and I think about it. And I let it fill my mind, fill my emotions, fill my thoughts. Um, so let me give you an example. Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What I do is I wake up in the morning and I take that one little piece of scripture. It's just a couple of lines of scripture. And instead of just racing through Psalm 121, I stop right there and I say, I lift up my eyes to the hills and I start imagining the hills. And I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? And I start imagining all the places I can get help from. I can get help from this place, from this friend, from my bank account, from Oprah Winfrey, from here, from here. No, no. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot stumble. He who, who looks after you will neither slumber nor sleep. And I start to meditate on God and the, the power of God who made the hills. And he's bigger than the hills. And the help that comes from the Lord is what will give me the strength that I need. And I meditate on it. And it starts to fill my emotions, my thoughts, my imagination. And I spend time just thinking about it and letting it fill my heart. That's meditating on God's word. That's meditating. Deuteronomy 6 verse 8 says, You will meditate on God's word when you go out, when you come in, when you sit down, and when you lie on your bed. Those are four good times of the day to meditate on God's word. When you're driving out of your place or walking out of your house, say, right, I'm going to use the next five minutes to meditate on a, on a scripture. And you start imagining it. When you sit down at home and you've got nothing to do, what shall I do? Shall I turn on TV? Now let me just meditate for a few minutes on God's word. When you lie down in your bed, when you first wake up in the morning or when you're going to sleep at night, you just think, Lord, let me think about a verse. And you start imagining it. Meditating on scripture will change your life. Friends, what I'm telling you now is the result of 25 years of my Christian walk trying to find the answer to this problem. And I'm telling you it's the answer. I'm telling you, this is the answer. Now, some of you here are not stressed, you're not worried, you're not tempted, and you're not, you're not addicted to sin. That's fine. We let, we're very pleased for you. But most of us are. <laughs> most of us are struggling with some sin or another. Most of us would pay a doctor hundreds of pounds to get free from this problem. And I'm telling you how to get free. I'm telling you how to do it. All you need to do is you need to meditate on, on God's word. And it doesn't even have to be a particular scripture. You can pick any part of God's word and you can meditate on it and it will change your heart. Because the, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. There's, some, there's power in the words in the Bible. You can pick anything. 
Remember the story of Jesus, uh, of Peter and John healing the man outside the temple. It says they're walking along, they see a man, he looks up and he says, please can I have some money? And they say, we don't have any money. Ah, but we do have healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Do you remember that story? I'm just picking verses, just at random. You can meditate on that. Imagine, imagine being with Peter and John or being Peter and John and you're walking along and you're looking around at the temple and all the people and everyone's worshipping and trying to worship and praying and struggling under the, the burden of law and legalism and you're walking along and you see a man and he looks up to you and he says, I need some money and you say, no, what you really need is healing and you're imagining it, you're putting yourself in there. You're imagining the emotions, the feelings. How does that man feel? How did Peter feel? How did John feel? And then you're imagining reaching out and saying, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the power of God coming into his limbs and healing his body and making his muscles strong. You meditate on that. You say, but that's nothing to do with pornography. That's nothing to do with my overeating problem or my gossip problem. I'm telling you, if you meditate on God's word, it'll change your life. That's all you've got to do, apart from dealing with the demonic and, and dealing with your flesh, which is a, a secondary issue. The main thing you have to do is meditate on God's word. Let me just talk about the demonic quickly. When the devil comes to you, he comes and he says, is it really better for you to... Um, well, let me, let's just put up that, that slide there. Let me just tell you how the devil works. This is called the cycle of temptation. And I've got this off various different people. I didn't create this. This comes off various sites. One of them is a site on the internet called Covenant Eyes, which is very good. The first thing that happens is a trigger. A trigger. So let's just, let's just take pornography and lust, for example. You are watching TV, an innocent program or the news, and suddenly an advert comes on or something comes on, and it triggers a thought in your mind, and you see something that makes you think... Um, along those lines about lust and sex and whatever, and a trigger comes. You can't help that. It's not your fault. It didn't, although sometimes we put ourselves in positions where the triggers will come, or we know, we know that when we're tired, or when it's late at night, or if we're all alone, or if we're bored, we know that those triggers happen more often, so we've got to be careful of that. But sometimes the trigger comes, and there's nothing you can do about it, but then the very next thing is the thoughts begin, and this is where the devil comes, and he says... God's way is not the best way for you. God just wants you to suffer. God's trying to be horrible to you. God's trying to make life hard for you. Look, I've got peace and pleasure and joy for you. Why don't you try this? And the thoughts start to come around in your mind. That's the demonic. You need to say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you that I'm clean, that I'm washed clean. And in Jesus' name, I rebuke you, spirit of lust or whatever it is, and you speak to and you tell it to go. If we don't do that... The thoughts then move to what we call small decisions, which we think, you know what, this is, I'm not sinning, but I'm just going to check my emails. I'm not sinning, but I'm, I'm just going to um, look at this other channel here. And they're small decisions that seem to be insignificant, but they're actually little steps towards where we, where we shouldn't be going. And we make these decisions all the time. I'm not going to do this, but I'm just going to do this. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to think about this or look at this thing for a bit. And we make small decisions. And then the next thing is we sin, but often we tell ourselves, I can handle this. It's okay for me to do this because. 
and we say, oh, well, there's a, there's a good reason. I can do this. It's okay. And we sin and we sin. And then the devil climbs and he says, you are so evil. You're disgusting. No one else is as bad as you. You're the only one in the world like this. You're horrible. God hates you. And that's why he's called the accuser, because he just comes and loads the guilt on. And sometimes we think, oh, well, I've sinned, so I might as well just keep sinning. Oh, well, I've done it now, so I'm just going to just go even worse. But eventually a time comes where you're just wrecked with guilt. And the next step is called penance, where we think, now what must I do to make up for this bad thing that I've done? If I'll just do this or this or this, then I'll make up for it. I'll give extra money. I'll go to extra prayer meetings. I'll fast. I'll do good. I'll pray for people. I'll go to extra church, whatever it is, and I'll make up for it. And then there's a period of time where we, where we keep ourselves away, free from the sin. And in that time, sometimes pride will come in and you'll think, hey, look, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. I've done it. I'm, 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 I've managed to get a control on this. And then a trigger comes. And we fall back into the cycle. And some of us here today, you are defeated. (laughs) You are so defeated by this. You are so tired of it. You just, you can't fight anymore. And the trigger leads straight to the sin. And we hardly even have a time of penance anymore. And it's just, oh, it's just me. I want to say you can be free. And it's not going to be by law. It's not going to be by self-discipline and rules and saying, I must be stronger. You shall not. Colossians 2 says all of those rules, don't taste, don't look, don't feel, don't do this. They have no value in restraining sensual indulgence. That's what Colossians 2 says. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 says the power of sin is the law. There's a verse that will bend your brain. The power of sin is that law that says thou shalt not. It makes you want to sin more. In, In Romans 7, Paul says, I wouldn't have even known what lusting was if the law didn't say don't lust. And as soon as it said it, lust sprung up in my heart. The law... If you're trying to do it by just law, I must not, thou shalt not, I'm so bad if I do, I must control, it makes the sin worse. Because you're focusing on the sin, and it just makes it grow bigger and bigger in your eyes, and it's all you can see. You know how Jesus overcame the temptations? Obviously, he spoke the word, but we're told in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, Endured the cross. (laughs) You know what he was filling his mind with? The joy, the promises, the good things of God. He was filling his mind with the vision of what could be and what is in God's system. He was saying, this is what God has for me. Good things. You know, uh, 2 Peter 1 says, we've been given great and precious promises from God. Verse 2, 3, 4. It says, by these promises, we partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption caused by lust. It's when you fill your mind with God's promises, God's good things. He says, I love you. My favor is upon you. You're a mighty man of valor. You're 
blessed, you're forgiven, you're healed, you're full of my presence, you're loved, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When you fill your mind and you meditate on the good things that God has for you, (laughs) you get free. You partake of the divine nature and you escape the corruption caused by lust. When you focus on laws and rules that say, thou shalt not, I must control myself, you sin more. And so the answer is, you fill your mind with God's word. What Jesus did was when the devil came, he rebuked him with a word. He didn't get into a big debate with the devil. He just said, God's word says, bam, and the devil ran away and left. But he was focusing on the joy. He was fo- his mind was filled with God's good things. I've got a lot I could say about this, and I'm going to need to talk about this more. I'm really, I've become aware this week that it's a big problem in the world and in the body of Christ. And so we need to talk about it more. But I want to just close by saying this. I want to just try and make it as practical and as helpful as I can. Friend, just like Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism and God said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God loves you. He's pleased with you. You say, but I've been in the cycle of temptation and sin. I'm a rotten Christian. I keep giving up. Friend, God loves you. He loves you. Jesus paid for your sin. And just like Jesus was declared, you are my son, I love you. That's how God feels about you. But now you need to learn to whack the devil and defeat him. Not because you're trying to earn God's love or because God separates you if you sin. Because he doesn't. But it's because the devil wants to destroy your life that you need to overcome him. If you keep going in an addictive cycle, let's just say it's lust, but it could be anything else. It will destroy your life. There's amazing studies now about how the chemicals in your brain change when you get addicted to something. And pornography is one of those. And it changes the chemicals in the brain. They say that for a 40 or 50 year old man, as soon as he stops and gets out of the habit of pornography, it takes him about two months for the chemicals in his brain to get back to normal. But you know what's scary? Is the 20 to 30 year old men who stop, it takes them sometimes two years to get back to normal. Why? Because their brains are that much more sensitive and pliable and they've been involved in internet porn from when they were teenagers and it's that much harder for their brains to get fixed it's a big problem it's a scary problem and the devil wants to destroy marriages lives it may be addiction to anything else the devil is trying to destroy you you need to learn to fight him and to overcome him just like Jesus did in the desert. And the way you're going to do it is not by saying, I'm bad, I'm, let me pile the guilt on. It's by saying, I'm loved by God. And now what happens is I start to fill my mind with the word of God. I meditate on it. When I go out, when I come in, when I sit down, when I lie down, I meditate on God's word. I pick scriptures. And it might be any scripture. Moses parting the Red Sea. God speaking life in the first days when he created the world. Um, Jesus ascending after, uh, you know, just before the day of Pentecost when he ascended into heaven. You pick a scripture and you imagine it. You imagine you're in the place. You imagine the sights, the smells, the sounds. You, you feel it. You let it fill your heart. You meditate on it. 
twice, three or four times a day, I promise you, I'm making a promise to you, you'll be free. You'll be free. It says that the devil tempted Jesus and every time Jesus said, no, the word of God says, we speak God's word and it ends the subject. But then it says at the end of that, the devil left him for an opportune time. In other words, the devil will come back and tempt you again and again. It will happen. But once you get like Jesus where you've learned to beat him, not through law, not through, wow, I've got strong self-discipline, but through God's love, when you learn to beat him out of God's love, you will be able to bat him away easier and easier every single time. Until you get to the point where the devil is petrified of you. He's scared of you. Instead of you being scared, oh, am I going to sin again today? When's the next time I'm going to just be defeated again? It gets to the point where the devil is scared of you. Because you're the one who can easily defeat him. Not out of pride, not out of a sense of, gee, I'm a good Christian, but out of God loves me anyway. Look, God's plan is so much better than the devil's plan. 